This morning, we continue in our series, The Good Godly Life, by examining Matthew chapter 6, verses 25 through 34 of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. So I'd invite you to turn there in your Bible or on your device. Last Sunday, in verses 19 through 24, Pastor Ed wonderfully and helpfully unpacked that passage where Jesus challenged his disciples and us to carefully consider whom or what we serve as the master of our lives. We cannot truly serve God if we are serving money and possessions. We cannot serve two masters. Now, in verses 25 through 34, Jesus is going to urge his disciples and all of us not to be anxious and worrisome about our lives. And there is a connection. There is a connection between worry and whom or what we worship. See, when you and I are feeling anxious and worried, it's very likely because we are trying to serve a master that is not our gracious heavenly father. When you and I are feeling anxious and worried, it's very likely that we are looking to someone or something to satisfy a need that only he can satisfy. I'd invite you to follow along as I read Matthew chapter six, verses 25 through 34. This is Jesus to his disciples and the crowd on the mount overlooking the Sea of Galilee. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This is the word of the Lord. Would you say a word of prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I really want to repeat the prayer of confession that Pastor Ed offered. I am so prone to worry 
forgive me. If my brothers and sisters can relate, forgive them. Lord, lead us by your spirit into the depths of your truth that we may be changed, that we may take hold more so of the good godly life that you desire for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The whole of this passage might be summarized in one tender statement. Don't worry. In this passage we see, if you're a note taker, here will be the outline. In this passage we see, number one, what worry is. Number two, what worry does. And number three, how worry should be combated. What a timely word for me. (laughs) Number one, what worry is. In verses 25 through 29, Jesus says, do not be anxious. Don't be worried about your life. Even when it comes to bare essentials like food and drink and clothing, do not worry. Now for his disciples and the crowd of Jews on the mount, tension, anxiety, worry, stress, these things would have been as commonplace as breathing. They had little to no money. They had little more than the clothing on their backs. And so let's hear what Jesus is urging with tenderness and compassion as he says, look up at the birds of the springtime air for a second. And look down at the budding lilies of the field. Are they not much more feeble and needy than you? And yet, their minds aren't racing with doubt and uncertainty. They're not pacing back and forth with unsettlement of spirit. Their shoulders are not knotted up with tension. Their brows are not furrowed with stress. They're not trying to serve anyone as master but God. They're not looking to anyone but God to satisfy their groanings. And God satisfies them. He provides for them. Heck, verse 29, even King Solomon with all his wealth and pomp and possessions, he could never dress himself as well as God dresses these. And so, Jesus reasons with his disciples in verse 30, if God takes care of the birds and lilies and grass, how much more will he take care of you? Sit in that for a minute with me, okay? God really cares for the birds and lilies and grass, but they are not the crown jewel of his creation. We are. Remember with me that God has made us in his own image. He has made us as reflectors of his own likeness. When he entered into the world he made, he did so in human form in order to bring us back into right relationship with him. He has indwelled us with his own Holy Spirit. He has adopted us through his own Holy Son. 
We, not the birds, not the lilies, not the grass, we are the crown jewel of his creation. Scripture says we are the apple of his eye and the reward of his redemption. He kind of loves us a lot. We're kind of a big deal to him and not in some centered way like his world revolves. No, but we're a big deal to him. My daughter Finley had a guinea pig for a while in our home, and I cared for that guinea pig, kinda, but absolutely kind, you know. But compared to my sweet Finn, oh my goodness, that guinea pig did not hold a candle to how much I cared for her. And so it is with us and our Heavenly Father. I know that's a cheesy illustration, but it's the best that I can come up with, but it begs the question nonetheless. Why do we worry? Chris, why do you worry so much? And it would be a little more understandable. I think we could give ourselves a little bit of slack if we were worried about where our next meal were coming from. And maybe some of us have been in that place. But most of us, and I'm speaking primarily of me, most of us worry about matters that are far less crucial than food and water and clothing. Some of us fester over what everyone thinks about them. Some of us not up over the things that we think we need to accomplish or to gain or to control. We think we need greater amounts of money we think we need more security or significance in the workplace. We think we need more likes on Facebook. We think we need more relationships or less challenging relationships, right? I don't know about you, but all of the relationships that I have are hard because I'm part of them. In addition to, to worries like these, we cram our minds full, scrolling through news feeds of all the world calamities that we cannot control. And now look, I am not advocating to be completely uninformed, but my goodness, most of us are overwhelmed with worry because we are overcommitting, overextending, oversaturating, overcarrying, overpromising, and overcomplicating most everything. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Might it be that we're trying to serve two masters? Might it be that we are looking to everyone and everything but our Heavenly Father to satisfy something in us that only He can? I'm thankful that at the end of verse 30, Jesus calls my worry what it truly is. And what he says would have come as a shock to the Jews around him. They consider themselves devout and mature. And what does he say? Oh, you of little faith. What a compassionate dagger to the heart. 99% of my worries are sinful because they're rooted in Plain Jane unbelief. When worry sets in, when our minds are racing 
when our heart is palpitating, when we're pacing back and forth, it is either because, one, we think God is not there, or two, we think he is there, but he doesn't really care, or three, we think he is there and that he cares, but he is absolutely powerless to do anything about it. Theologian William Mounts puts it plainly this way, worry at its core is practical atheism, impersonal deism, or finite theism. We either don't serve a God because he doesn't exist, or we do serve a God who doesn't care about us, or we do serve a God who loves and cares about us and he would do the world to help us out, but actually he's powerless to do so. That belief system that I just painted is what described the pagan Gentiles of Jesus' day, and he points to them in verse 32. See, a life marked by patterns of worry puts us in the same camp as unbelievers who have no concept of a caring, loving, sovereign, powerful, heavenly Father. I think that Here's a poem I'm going to read. I don't often do this. Here's a poem by a woman named Elizabeth Cheney. It's entitled, Overheard in an Orchard. And I think it really kind of captures something here. Said the robin to the sparrow, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, Friend, I think it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. What worry is, is unbelief. 99% of the time, what worry is, is unbelief. Help me to call it what it is, Lord. Help us to call it what it is. Point number two, what worry does In verse 27, Jesus rhetorically asks his disciples, and which of you, by being anxious with worry, can add a single hour to your life? The answer, of course, none of us can worry our way into longer life. Theologically speaking, even, Psalm 139 clearly communicates every one of our days has already been written by our good sovereign God. So worry is absolutely powerless to extend life, but worry is potent to exhaust life. Proverbs 12.25 might say it most poignantly and helpfully, anxiety weighs down the heart. It cripples the core of who we are. Anxious worry, theologian Danny Aiken writes, is an emotionally and psychologically draining spiritual thief that robs us of joy and peace and sleep and a thousand other things. Corey Ten Boom wrote, worry doesn't empty tomorrow of its sorrow, it empties today of its strength. That's what worry does. And don't we know it to be true? That worry 
consumes us and distracts us and it steals from us the very precious gift of being present and mindful and content and restful in the moment. And those moments of worry, well, we'll, we'll, we'll never get them back. I think of Martha at the end of Luke chapter 10. Remember, Jesus was in her house. Jesus, the creator, Messiah, and king was in her house. Her sister Mary sat at Jesus' feet and listened to him, relishing in the moment of his presence. Martha was distracted, it says, and troubled and anxious. She was trying to ensure that everything in her house was perfect. And at first, man, even at second and third, I relate with that. It almost sounds noble and relatable. But Jesus gently reminds Martha. He says, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but only one thing is necessary. Being present right now. Being mindful right now. Restful right now. Because guess what? I am king. And I am yours. And you are mine. And here I am. The good godly life that Jesus came and died and rose to afford us is about so much more than what we're putting in our mouths at a moment or drinking or wearing or accruing or owning or maintaining or preparing or accomplishing. This is Jesus' point at the end of verse 25. Isn't life more than these things? Just sitting and resting and relishing in the fact that I am known by my God and loved and I have been brought into his family forever. That should dictate the way I think and feel about everything. I wonder, brothers and sisters, if you are as tired as I am of my joy and contentment and mindfulness and rest and sleep being hijacked by worry. I wonder if you're as tired as I am of the good godly life feeling more like a pipe dream that is just beyond my reach. In theory, good godly life, okay. But to taste and see it. In verse 32, Jesus gives the impression that this was the case for the Gentile pagans of his day. They were being consumed by their worries by focusing on their worries, obsessing over their needs as if they were orphan children without a providing father. And so in verse 33, Jesus gives his disciples and us the key for effectively combating worry. Number three, this is how worry should be combated. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
the moment that you catch yourself, and I'm saying the same thing to me, I'm pre- but the moment, brother or sister, when you catch yourself being drained by a worrisome leech, whether you are at school or at home or at work or at the store or the gym or wherever you find yourself, whether the burden, the worry is financial or relational or medical or any other object of worry that we give ourselves to, pause for a prayer of remembrance to seek first things first. God, who is the marrow of your marrow, who fills all in all with wholeness and fullness and goodness and glory, God alone can satisfy and sustain and supply you and he is your most foundational need. Pause for a prayer of remembrance. He is your heavenly father who loves you and he is as powerful as he is good. He is sovereign and caring. He declares the end from the beginning. He knows you better than you know yourself. And he knows every what, why, how, and when of your deepest needs. He formed the world out of nothing. So surely your deepest needs should not be too much for him. By the blood of his beloved son, he has pronounced you worthy to come before him in prayer. Every time you feel a hint of worry, even if it's a thousand and one times a day, you can enter behind the curtain that Christ has opened for you into the Holy of Holies. You can approach the throne of grace by closing your eyes wherever you are at, or if you like to keep your eyes open, you can do that too, and seeking his kingdom, his righteousness, his perfection, purity, majesty, rule, reign, and comfort, and then all the earthly things you were worried about God will sort those out he'll sort it out if we were just to trust him if I was just to trust him for just a moment when I'm feeling when I'm just tail spinning in my anxiety oh Lord, help me. 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow, and hear this, if tomorrow comes, it'll worry about itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Now, right here, I think Jesus is being kind. I think he's being compassionate to us. I think he's being empathetic. He knows that in this broken world of ours, worrisome troubles are going to come our way even when our faith is in the right place. And he knows this from firsthand experience. Today, Palm Sunday, we remember what Jesus did some 2,000 years ago He rode into Jerusalem on a donkey the week of Passover in order to lay his life down as the final atoning sacrifice for sin. We're going to dive into that, Lord willing, 
in a few days during our Good Friday service, we're actually going to hold off. We would normally be taking communion together this morning. We're going to wait and take together on Good Friday. As Jesus rode into Jerusalem, he did so as one who never once sinned himself. But after riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, in just a few days, he would soon take upon himself a whole world of sin. And then he would bear the penalty that is fitting for such a collection of crime. The wrath of God would be poured out upon him as he hung lifeless on the cross. The night before his horrible substitutionary death in the Garden of Gethsemane, we see the worrisome weight of the cross bear down on Jesus in a crisis of sorrow that we will never be able to identify with. The worrisome weight of God's wrath against sin was so heavy, so pointed, so acute, so intense, he sweated blood. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble indeed. I have no qualms with saying I think Jesus in his humanity was a bit worried, but not in a sinful sense, not divorced from an absolute unshakable faith in God. And so, what shall we say to all these things? It's not my words, it's the Apostle Paul's in Romans 8. What shall we say about all these things? If our heavenly father didn't spare his own son, but if our heavenly father gave his son up to save us, won't he graciously give to us all that we need? If God is for us to this degree, and he is, who in all the earth can stand against this? Who can stand against us when we are worried or anxious or tense or stressed? Whatever we might call it, 99% of the time we should call it sin. But when we are feeling these things, oh, brothers and sisters, that we would run to the throne of grace for help in time of need, that the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, would guard our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus for his glory and for our good, godly life. Let's pray. Father, you are so trustworthy. Not one word of yours has ever failed, has ever returned void. And if you so clothe and care for the birds and lilies and grass, oh my goodness, remind us we are the pinnacle of your creation. We bear your image. And for those of us in Christ, we behold your son by being indwelled by your Holy Spirit. We are all together yours and you are all together good. Help us to trust that. 
Help us, Lord, in our moments of worry to count it a joy, whether it's a thousand or 10,000 times of worry each day. Guess what? We get to go before the throne of grace behind the curtain that's been opened for us. We get to enter into the holy of holies of our heavenly father and cast our cares upon you at your feet and you hear us, you care for us and you are working all things according to the count of your will for the good of those who love you. Help us, help us, help me to remember that. I am so prone to being anxious. In other words, I am so prone to trying to serve a master other than you. And I am so prone to looking to other things and other people to satisfy in me what only you can satisfy. Call us to that. Call us to this good and godly life free of worry and stress and tense attention and, and anxiety. Lord, call us into a life of being mindful and peaceful and restful and present in you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.